Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Alright guys, welcome to the second episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today it's just me and Jacob, and we're going to do a little season recap, talk about how our deer seasons went, uh, some trends that we noticed, our best new strategies that we tried, and our worst new strategies that we tried. So with that being said, Jacob, how'd your season go, bud? Well, if you're wanting me to rate it, I'd probably say a six. Definitely saw more deer this year or i should say saw better deer this year quality bucks uh than any year previously 
but with limited times of hunting, I mean, I think last time I clocked in, or last year I clocked in roughly 50 hunts. That's not 50 days, but, you know, 50 hunts in general, you know, morning, evening sits. And I saw a ton of deer last year on public land. Uh, this year, I was only probably able to get on 20 hunts uh, just because of work and everything I had going on. Today's been, or this year's been a very crazy year uh, for me. Uh, but with that being said, I think it was really quality sits I was doing. I was seeing a lot of good bucks, but again, just a couple of missed opportunities uh, during firearm season and during a little bit of a couple of bow hunts, uh, you know, put me off. But Andrew, now, how would you rate your season as a uh, as it has progressed to now? Uh, man, if I had to put a number on it, I'm not totally sure because. Wyoming was great. I think we used up all our luck in Wyoming. <laughs> me, me and Jacob both killed bucks in Wyoming, and Jacob killed a stud of a buck, which we might go into that on a later podcast. But <clears throat> after we got back, I didn't get to hunt that much until probably after November 6th. I think I got out on a couple bow hunts, had some missed opportunities, just little mental errors that kind of cost me shot opportunities. Uh, after that, though... Leading up to Thanksgiving and then all the way to New Year's, my season really turned around, and I had a lot of action, a lot of opportunities, but I was still struggling to fill a tag until, uh, geez, it was probably, I think, December 28th. I finally killed one, and then I killed another one on January 14th, and now here we are today, and I have not killed another one, but overall, it was a pretty good year, I'd say. Had a lot of cool encounters around Christmas. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we've had, especially you, I mean, shooting a couple of those hunts on uh, some public land, you had some multiple opportunities with some pretty good deer. I mean, one of them, from how you described it, seemed to be a giant. And, uh, I mean, especially when we went back in there a couple of days later and uh, got on and, you know, after legal shooting light, have a, a very large buck come past us. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been, it's, been a, it's been a very entertaining year for the time, especially that I, you know, put into it, so... Yeah, to th- this year was definitely a, a quality year rather than a quantity year because I didn't get to hunt that much either compared to years past. But, man, that that like two-week span in mid-December leading up to Christmas, we had we had some incredible hunts where I came up to back into town where I've been hunting and had that morning where I got in before daylight and then 10 minutes before legal shooting light, I had a really nice buck walk what what was it 13 yards up under my stand Mm -hmm. and he was rubbing trees and i I got a picture of that rub i'm going to try and add some of these pictures we're talking about into the show notes on the website but uh no shot opportunity came in before daylight and then after that me and you started hunting together and we had a lot of cool opportunities saw a lot of chasing i saw that really big buck uh when i was rifle hunting and then me and you went in there the next day and got right on the trail I saw him on chasing the doe, and I think it was the same buck, came back in right at last light, and he was a very good deer. And uh, come to find out, I think I think that he got shot uh, just based on uh, what the guy told me. Um, he got shot, it couldn't find it, so I'm sure there's a skeleton laying out there, but how he described it, it sounded like the same exact buck, which is kind of a bummer, but... It is what it is. We saw plenty of deer in there, and there'll be more next year. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I mean, and I saw better bucks this year than in years past. And one thing I thought was really interesting, the uh, public parcel that me and Andrew are hunting, 
uh, it's been pretty highly managed the last three years, doing very, very limited gun hunts or firearm hunts, and doing most of the hunting on that piece of property is mostly open to bow season or for bow hunting. And I think with the very restricted gun hunts, there's been a better chance for a lot of these deer to get to older age class. And I definitely noticed that this year. I mean, on a couple of those gun hunts, uh, you know, last year I think we only saw, I only saw maybe one or two mature bucks on the whole, you know, parcel. And this piece of property is, you know, clear over almost 30,000 acres. Well, this year on one hunt alone, me and a buddy I took out hunting saw two mature bucks on one hunt, uh, me missing the opportunity on one of them. And, you know, we've been seeing so many good deer come off that piece of property this year. I mean, it's been unreal. So I think that the quality of the deer on that property has, you know, jumped tremendously since the last couple of years, uh, just because how they're managing it as a state. So, yeah, I agree with that. And that that'll bring us to a topic that we should talk about is trends that we noticed this year. And this area that we're talking about where we saw these bucks uh, is kind of a, it's not a really big area. And this goes back to what me and Jacob have been talking about for a lot of this year is that we seem on public land at least to find pockets of daylight movement where we'll we'll go into a certain area and we'll be seeing deer sometimes or seeing a lot of sign but then when you find just the right area you can find a a pocket where the deer feel comfortable moving in daylight they just don't get messed around and usually it's close to bedding but uh jacob why don't you explain how we found that area on that snow day okay and are you talking about talking about the spot where you had the encounter with that buck? Yeah, yeah, just that whole okay. area in general. Well, that area we kind of found. I guess we kind of found it a little bit last year, uh, just with a little bit of experience going in there, and it seemed like we were seeing good deer along that creek uh, that kind of runs through there. And like Andrew said, uh, we went through there on a quote unquote snow day, and I don't know if y'all know, but. Alabama, state of Alabama, pretty much shut down if there's a dusting of snow. So, uh, me and him, you know, I was off work and we were able to meet up and do a little, it's more of a scouting trip than anything. Kind of walked through the property uh, with our bows just in case, did a couple setups. Uh, but we found a ton of sign down through all these bottoms where, I mean, it was thick. I mean, it was some of the thickest, most intense, uh, I would call it hiking because that's what it felt like the whole time going through these areas and we were finding so much deer sign especially fresh deer sign where in this one area i'll describe it's a pretty steep creek bottom that butts right up against what i'm going to call short pines uh, they're probably about 10 to 15 feet tall real thick pines and the deer are bedding in that cover uh, no one's able to really get into there when there's no reason you would want to because you would have no shot opportunities but the deer are really bedding in these areas above these creeks, depending on the, what the wind situation is. And we were able to work that creek bottom and find a lot of good sign. And a lot of that sign, again, was kind of paralleling the um, the creek along those pines. And we were able to set up and find some pretty good spots. But with that being said, Andrew, kind of tell them about that spot where you found that bench where you had the encounter with that really big buck. Okay, yeah, so that area I'd been looking at it on the map, and some things that kind of drew me to it on the map were there's a lot of entrances to this area in a basically a big circle. There's two main roads that kind of go around the perimeter of it, <clears throat> and this spot is 
kind of in the middle of it, and there's no really easy way to get to it. There's easy ways to get past it, but there's no easy way to actually get to that spot. And I could tell that there was probably some good betting. You can get on Google Earth. I like to get on Google Earth and uh, go to like the time-lapse feature where you can uh, look at the images from years past. And for that area, I think the last photo was like 2016. And then there's one for 15, 14, like 10, 07. And I'll go back and see when these areas that are pines now, I'll see when they were cut. So before I go in there, I can kind of have an idea like, okay, this was cut in 2013. It's probably pretty thick and nasty by now. So I noticed that right off the bat. And the the way this creek kind of meandered through there, it, it seemed like it would funnel them really well. And so I go in there one day. And sure enough, man, right off the bat, I saw all kinds of deer. I think, I don't remember if it was my first sit in there where I saw that really good buck, but I saw like, gosh. No, it was the first sit in there, I saw four does. And then the next sit, I saw five does and I think four different bucks, if I remember right. One of them being that really nice one. But what they were doing was bedding up against these pines. They're not bedding in the thick cutover. They're actually bedding on the very edge of it overlooking the hardwood bottom so nothing can sneak up behind them because it's so thick they'd hear it and they're also for the most part what i think they're betting wind based because usually when i bump them out of a bed or when i find a bed it's set up for the wind to come over their back so you got a south facing slope they're on the top of that facing south if there's a northern wind so the wind's coming over their back they can smell and hear everything behind them and see everything in front of them and this area just kind of really set itself up to be good for that. And sure enough, we were catching a lot of deer early in the day where they were moving just kind of around their beds. And uh, that spot proved to be pretty good. We hunted it several times whenever we could get a, a good wind to get in there. And it turned out all right, but we didn't get anything in there yet. Maybe next year. Oh, yeah, for sure. In that spot that kind of Andrew's talking about a little bit too, uh, where he had an encounter on a gun hunt where this big buck was chasing this doe. It really does set up for a great little corridor for these deer to kind of float in between these different bedding areas for these bucks to work these different bedding areas, uh, especially with any kind of, you know, northeast or eastern, easternly wind. Um, but like the hunt that we went in there, we sat up on that bench. It's a super thick bench. If it wasn't for the tree stands we had, uh, and doing a hanging hunt, there's no way you really get in there and hunt effectively. But um, while we were in there, you know, we had a, what was it, I guess a little six-point kind of worked by us. Um, but, I mean, you could just tell how these deer were just coming across from, and on this bench, kind of give it a little better description, was kind of goes across a gas line, or a power line, I'm sorry. And the way these deer are working it, they're coming from north to south or south to north. And in between the gas or the power line is a bunch of pockets uh, or a big pocket of just pines. And they're just working that edge right there along this bench. And I mean, it was just like a little corridor and it was just a great spot that you could go in there and hunt depending on your wind situation and your entrance route, which we definitely, you know, I think worked out pretty well for us. You could get in there pretty clean. And as long as you set up clean without a lot of noise, I mean, you would have deer come by you. Uh, so that was a great find for this year. Uh, definitely something we can, uh, work on a little bit in this uh, off season, maybe scout out a little bit better and find out where these deer are bedding a little bit deeper up the uh, creek and maybe get a little bit closer to them uh, for earlier season hunting. But man, I mean, it was a great spot. And I mean, just another thing, just this year, 
again, I was very limited on how many times I was able to go hunting, but this year it seemed like, it seemed like every sit I was on was always quality. I mean, it was one of these spots that you might not see a bunch of deer, but when you did see some deer, it was normally either a pretty good buck or you're seeing some good does coming through and a lot of good movement. And I mean, Andrew, I think you could attest to that too for most of your sits. I mean, I think we learned a lot just from this past year and some of the mistakes we made this past couple of years out there and how we kind of uh, went about changing that. Yeah, and but and before we move on to our, our strategies that we tried, one thing about that spot with the bench <clears throat> that I'll I'll note is that this is a, a really an overlooked area because people hunt all around it. They'll walk past it or they won't walk far enough to it, but nobody's hunting this particular spot. And all the deer that I saw there and that me and Jacob saw there when we sat together, they were all very calm. Their their body language was calm. They weren't alert. They weren't very skittish. And, I mean, sitting on top of the hill, looking at that bench on the other side, I can see over the hill that they're crossing. And over that hill, there's a there's a road. And so I'm, I'm watching this buck, you know, bump around a doe out there. And in the background, there's cars going across this road, people going hunting on this gun day. And on this particular parcel on a gun day, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they give out, I think, over 250 permits. Uh, there's a lot of guys hunting that place. And all that pressure has just kind of forced them into this little area. And if they're in that area long enough without getting messed with, I think it makes them pretty comfortable. At least that's what I saw. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think after a couple of years of hunting out there and hunting so much out there this year, I definitely could you know, attest to that because I remember my first couple of years I hunted out there, I was getting on some deer, but they always seemed very, very skittish, uh, especially in the early season for some reason. I mean, I was hunting pretty close to bedding areas, but these bedding areas are really close to these roads. And, I mean, I would have had guys that would come by and these deer were just on edge the whole time. And a lot of those deer we got on this year, it was not like that, especially even deep into the season. You know, later in the season, you know, the deer most of the time get a little more educated and are a little more aware of their surroundings. And, you know, I don't know about y'all, but, you know, especially in the south, it seems like deer have a tendency to be looking up in trees, <laughs> uh, especially on public land. And I actually yeah. have a couple of buddies and team members on the running gun page that actually said that, that they don't know what's up with the Alabama deer, but it always seems like they're always looking up in trees. And, I mean, it's because we have so many hunters that just mess it up and uh these deer get a little bit educated but yeah uh i definitely think this year we were able to go on some deer that were less pressured and acted more natural like they should be absolutely all right moving on to the next topic our our best strategies that we tried this year that worked out in our favor and i'll kick this one off uh with scouting with scrapes for me that was a slam dunk in the early season i was hunting a new parcel uh, that I just moved close to, and I know nothing about this place. And so to start scouting it, I just started trying to find thick cover, find some bedding, find some uh, transition areas where, you know, maybe like an open hardwood bottom meets a thick pine plantation or maybe maybe a cutover. And in looking in these areas, I started finding some scrapes, some old scrapes from last year, and... Uh, Deer will actually use scrapes year-round. They might not screw with the ground. They might not scrape it up on the ground, but they'll use that licking branch. So uh, I put some cameras on some of those community scrapes is what I call them. They're just big scrapes, usually have a couple different licking branches. Uh, I have an article about it on southernoutdoorsman.com. It's called Using Scrapes in the South, uh, where I kind of go into it more. But 
I, I found some natural scrapes and I made some mock scrapes in August and hung cameras on them. And these deer that I'm getting pictures of are rutting right now. So it was way before the rut and I was still getting pictures of bucks using those scrapes and does using the scrapes too, which is pretty interesting. But uh, I think I got eight different bucks on camera in one area. Two of them, pretty good bucks. Um, but that that is something that I will do every year from now on. And I'm actually going to go put some cameras out on some scrapes tomorrow, I think. And I just leave them until probably the end of February just to see what deer made it through the season and see what deer are in this new area that I'm looking at. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, something that I use this year for the first time ever, and I've talked about this a lot, especially on the, uh, the team page, is just Onyx Maps. That mapping system, which if y'all never heard of Onyx Maps, you've been living in a hole. Because they they have some of the best technology for the individual, whether you're hunting public or private land, where you can not only see you know property boundaries and get in contact with landowners and stuff, uh, but also their their overlay with their topo overlay with their aerial photos. Oh yes, phenomenal, and that helps so much this year be able to not only scout but also I do a lot of to be honest like. With my work and everything, I don't have a whole bunch of time to scout. I mean, I know some guys, depending on your work, you know, you're the same way. Uh, you know, some listeners might, you know, you might be so busy with work and family, you don't have a lot of time to go scouting. And that's kind of how my situation was this year. Uh, wasn't able to run cameras or anything like I normally do just because of work. So I did a lot of hunts where I either went off information from last year or I was getting on the maps on Onyx, doing that overlay and trying to find areas on the maps that, you know, it looked good, and I'd just hike into them, hang and hunt, and you know, see how it went, and that worked pretty well for me this year. At least that seeing deer again, wasn't able to harvest anything so far this season, but that saved my butt actually a couple of weeks ago. I had a run in where I was using Onyx maps, and again, Onyx uses the uh, U.S. base uh, plat map uh, for property boundaries uh, for whatever states that you purchase from them. And again, I have it for Alabama, and I was using Onyx a couple of weeks ago to try to access a piece of this parcel I've been hunting and I was going to park right on like right past the boundary on the public land side and then walk in on a gas line that was right there on the uh, public land side well put my truck there and everything uh, went on the hunt it was unsuccessful get back to the truck and when I got back to the truck I looked down and there's a note staked in the ground on my driver's side door of my pickup truck and it says pretty much I'll just paraphrase uh, you're on private property, you're trespassing, um, you know, I'd like for you to leave, and this and that. Well, be, me being me, I'm not a individual for necessarily trying to get in uh, confrontation, but I don't <laughs> mind it. So I left him a note, uh, wrote on the paper, just like, hey, you know, here's my contact info if you want to get in touch with me. Uh, you know, I'm on public land side, you know, I'm not trespassing or anything like that. Uh, just give me a call. Well, after that, you know, I definitely wanted to make sure I was in the right. And on Onyx, I was definitely above the property boundary. And I got in contact with a couple different game warts. And they both, you know, agreed that, you know, I was in the right. And the property, the uh, the uh, landowner had his boundaries either misconstrued or, I don't know, maybe he thought I was just too close to his property. Uh, but they said, don't worry about it. You're totally fine. And so, anyways, Onyx saved me on that. Because if I didn't have Onyx, it'd be my word versus his. And, of course, a game warts going to take the landowner's word for the most part. Uh, yeah. but that was a huge part yeah that was a huge part for me this year 
uh, that we used, especially when we went to Wyoming. I don't think we could have ever done that trip without Onyx. I'm yeah, man. Down. <laughs> There's no way we could have done that. So that was a huge uh, tactic that I used this year. Um, another tactic I kind of used, um, something I've been doing for the last couple of years now, is just hanging hunts uh, with my stand system. And, again, uh, I use a Lone Wolf Alpha uh, cast aluminum stand with their Lone Wolf sticks. I've been using that for going on three years now, and I absolutely love it. it allows me to get in pretty much any tree I want to. And uh, it was definitely use that this whole season i normally do a mix of hunting with a climber and a lock-on uh but this year i went uh totally with the lock-on which is kind of weird i mean i didn't do that necessarily on purpose but it's like everywhere i was hunting you couldn't get a climber in there for the most part so i was just taking the lock-on in there and uh again it worked out pretty well for me so with yeah man said, same Andy, here same here uh because i've always used a climber and uh this year i started using a um, what was it? A Hawk helium stand with muddy aerolite sticks. And I liked it. Uh, there's some things about the stand I didn't like, but the whole mobility thing is just incredible. I mean, it makes a huge difference because that one parcel that I tried to hunt earlier this season, there was no trees to get in with a climber. There was zero trees. And the only spot that I could uh, that or the best spot that I found, you could only use the lock on, and on that particular parcel, you can't leave a tree stand out overnight of any kind. You can't throw up a hang on stand or a ladder stand and leave it there. So that that's been a huge game changer for me, and I just I it helps to be able to go in there and hunt in the spot you want and hunt out of the tree you want rather than having to go find a tree for your tree stand I can just find a tree to hunt out of and uh Jacob let me use one of his lone wolf stands the other day and man (laughs) I like it (laughs) I think I'm converted to lone wolf but we'll see where that goes but yeah man I really liked it was a alpha tech 2 which is their it's kind of their cheaper stand uh it's not cast aluminum but it's it's still a really high quality stand it still has their offset bracket where you can get on a tree that's leaning and it's still got the leveling system which saves you a little bit of time as far as getting on the tree because with that other stand I was having to strap it onto the tree and then if it wasn't leveled right I'd have to completely undo the strap and redo it and that just that takes a ton of time you'll be sweating in the stand and making all kinds of noise and I didn't have to do that with that lone wolf so I wish I started using it sooner but Mobile setups are definitely something you should check out uh, if you're wanting to hunt public, especially down here in the south, because not a lot of people are using that kind of system where you can get a a lock-on stand that's lightweight, easy to put on a tree, and climbing sticks that are lightweight and easy to put on a tree, because then you can just hunt anywhere, and you can hunt places that other guys can't hunt. So that that was big for me. Well, with that being said, I'd like to kind of uh, talk a little bit more about that and just some experiences I've had using both lock-on and climber. You know, growing up in the South, a lot of guys do use climbers because, I mean, if you're hunting anywhere that's got a lot of pines, I mean, you can pretty much climb any mature pine up to ever, ever how high as you want because they don't have limbs, I mean, for normally like 30 or 40 feet. So, you know, climbers are very popular in the South, but the thing is where a lot of these big deer are, or a lot of these deer in general are on public land, and even, like, if you're hunting at a club that's got a lot of high pressure, you got a lot of guys hunting fields and stuff, 
to get on some of those deer, you just got to get off where a lot of guys aren't going to go. And that's going to be a thicker cover where you might not have the greatest visibility, but you're going to be on deer and on good trails. And that's what that lock-on is going to allow you to do. You're going to be able to get in there in some thick, nasty covering, in some thick, nasty trees. And I mean, I'll tell you a quick story. I mean, I've been able to get in trees the size, I think Lone Wolf advertises that you can get in with their assault and their uh, alpha you can get a tree to like four or five inches in diameter, and I've definitely tested that. And one of my best hunts <laughs> was in a tree like that. I mean, I've been in a tree one time that was only maybe 11, 12 feet off the ground. It was the only tree I could get in to hunt this uh, pinch point along this creek and this cutover. I made this pinch point around this creek. And every other tree, if I would have had a climber in there, the only tree I could have climbed was literally on top of the trail where the deer would have walked in on you straight walking in straight at you and then walk away straight away and like it would either be a downward shot or you taking like too much of a quartering or quartering away shot yeah so definitely. i was i was able to get in this very small tree uh you know get up there i was concealed perfect setup i get only like 12 feet off the ground and that's when i had the biggest buck i've ever had encountered with on public land which again was about 130 inch uh eight or nine point uh come in on me at last light and went to take the shot and I had the shot deflect off a branch, uh, unfortunately. But again, if it wasn't for that setup and that stand setup, there's no way I would have been able to hunt there and had that opportunity because the way the wind was. I mean, the, having a lock on will help you improve so much on where you can hunt and how you can hunt. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, dude, that's exactly right. And I like being able to get up into like real limmy trees, like a big beech tree or something, and just kind of weave the sticks up through the limbs to like a little patch where you can stick your stand onto and then it's like boom you're in like a blind almost which that's something that i utilized this year is thick trees and i absolutely loved it it was it was a game changer and i i, I wish that i had more season to hunt with it but man i don't know i'm gonna try and get on some hogs this off season with it uh get down kind of in the swamps around here and see if i can't get on a pig with my bow i'd love to shoot a hog with my bow i've never shot one so um another thing was creative access and the the more creative we get with access i feel like the more we see deer whether it's instead of parking at a gate or at a trailhead you park just on the side of the road or uh instead of walking up on top of a ridge you walk down right next to the creek and kind of the thick stuff and just sneak up through there the the more creative i've gotten into slipping into places especially since we're hunting so close to bedding a lot the more creative we've gotten the more success we've seen i feel like yeah i totally agree uh i mean you can definitely notice that when you're out there and I mean, because everyone else is, I mean, they're parking at gates, they're walking in, and they're doing the same old same pretty much everyone else is doing. And when you can get off the beaten path and do something different, I mean, the deer, I'm not going to lie, deer are accustomed to people walking in on those gates and those roads. And they understand the pressure and they move around it in certain ways, where if you can access it from, access it from a different way, especially on days that, say it's a designated gun hunter or something, there's a lot more hunters out there for some reason. You can, like you said, or like you've, you've talked about before, you can hunt the pressure and get on some of these, you know, trails that kind of, you know, go around uh, these other exit and entrance routes these guys are using and be able to hunt these deer like that. So, I mean, that's a huge part to be able to be successful on public or private land. Again, if you're on a club or a lease that you've got other buddies that are hunting, if you're doing the same thing they're doing, you know, you might have some success. But if you do something slightly different, whether it's entrance, exit routes, or stuff like that, 
you're going to have more success because the deer, you're going to be able to get on deer that, you know, maybe have patterned these other hunters that are there. Because I'm not going to lie, I truly do believe that deer can pattern humans when you go in there enough. Deer understand there's pressure in this one area, you know, whether it's certain times of the day or whatever. And if you can get off that beaten path, you will definitely have more opportunities. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right on that. And that, that kind of ties into hunting midday. I had some really cool midday hunts this year. Um, uh, that kind of, all this ties into wind-based bedding, which we mentioned earlier. And that's been a topic that a lot of people in the outdoor world on YouTube and on TV and on forums and on Facebook, and everyone's been talking about wind-based bedding, I feel like, for the last two years. So I started paying attention to it, and sure enough, man, it's like everything that I've heard is true, and I'll be able to locate these beds on a map, usually. I mean, just because you can, you can see like a feature, like if there's a big ridge and there's a knob coming off of that ridge, you can find a bed on the point of that knob where he might be bedding there with, you know, whatever wind direction would work for that buck or that doe, or, well, maybe not does as much as bucks, does seem kind of more loose with where they bed, but especially bucks, man. I've been having a lot of luck with wind-based bedding. Oh, yeah, true. I mean, we found some a couple of days ago. Uh, I actually drove down to um, the parcel where Andrew hunts predominantly now. And oh, we yeah. Were, I'll tell you. Uh, let me let me say my side of the story, and then we'll let you talk about it. <laughs> but we, we get on this one parcel that he's been wanting to check out, and he actually was in there and bumped a pretty good buck with a doe a couple weeks ago. Well, we get in there, and uh, there's a lot of the way they've managed this property. Uh, they've got a lot of like savanna grasses, where it's like old pine plantations, big old mature pines, longleaf uh, pine old... savannas. That, that's what it is. It's like a longleaf pine savanna. They're trying to restore that native ecosystem. Well, with that, I mean the deer. You can definitely tell the deer were bedding in it. Well, we come around this fallen pine tree and work around this edge, and there was like a draw that came up to us and we were walking around the end of that draw and we found a scrape at the end of the draw and Andrew's like, man, there ought to be a buck bedded somewhere in here. I mean, there's gotta be a buck. <laughs> and I swear we didn't make it another 30 yards and bumped a buck out of his bed in a, there's a brush pile that was on the edge of that draw where the wind was coming over his back, kind of like where we were coming from and just blowing towards him going down that draw. And I mean, that deer had the perfect bed where he could, he was actually downwind of the scrape too. So if a deer worked that scrape, he'd be able to check it and smell it from his bed. And, I mean, it was just crazy that that happened. Um, but then yeah, man. we kind of scouted the property a little bit more. Yeah, he let me and get right on top of him. He let me get right on top of him, dude. I was 15 steps from him, and you were like, hey, wait, hold on, I hear something. And I took one more step, <laughs> and he blew up out of that brush pile. But, yeah, that, that was pretty mm-hmm. entertaining. But we, we ended up finding a lot of good stuff on that trip. It's hunting a little back corner kind of hard to get to not very far from the road but it's an overlooked spot that's something that we talk about a lot it's just a spot that people either just don't notice or they just don't feel like it's worth getting in there or maybe you know it might be a half a mile walk but there might be like a like a swamp you have to walk through in the middle of it that's not easy to get through and people just won't do that and finding those those overlooked areas that people don't like they just don't want to hunt. That's where I have my best hunting. Yeah, I totally agree. And then another thing, I think with that parcel, what a lot of guys are doing, they're getting distracted with that savanna grassland. They're hunting around it, and they're not hunting that back portion where we we're finding all that buck sign. I mean, I, I truly believe that's what was happening. Because I mean, we were getting yeah. back there, and I mean, it was tough getting in there a little bit. 
but it's de definitely very doable. But I mean, there was absolutely no trash, nothing like that would, that would show that, you know, there's been individuals in there hunting before. And I mean, we were finding so much bucks. I'm talking, you know, good, good scrapes, huge rubs. I mean, it was just phenomenal. Those couple draws we were up in, but oh, yeah, with man. that Andrew, I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely crazy how you can find parcels like this where you'd think, man, there's gotta be someone hunting that. And then you get in there and maybe it was a little tougher getting in or this or that and, or just overlooked and you can find a lot of deer in there. Yeah. And, and like recently, I mean, everything you always hear about public land hunting, all you ever hear is like, oh, you got to walk farther than everybody else. If you go in deep, you'll find deer. I don't, I think that is not true anymore, at least in some places, because the places that I walk the farthest, I always get way back in there. I'm like, man, I got this to myself. There's a monster living in here. And then I turn around and there's a ground blind sitting there, <laughs> or a trail camera on a tree, or a, a a pine that's been climbed a few times and it's all scarred up. It it seems like that that just goes back to doing something differently than everybody else. Because when I was hunting, when I was trying to learn how to hunt, kind of on my own on that public land uh, back when I was in high school, like getting uh, getting my driver's license, being able to drive out there, I was having some serious trouble trying to find deer. And I was hunting next to the road. I was hunting way back in. And I talked to this old guy at a gate one time that I ran into. And he's like, yep, some guys hunt way back in there. Some guys hunt next to the road. Sometimes it's best to sit right in the middle. And so I've kind of grown off that little saying for a couple of years now. And it's held true for sure, man. A lot of those spots are not the hardest spot or the farthest spot from the road. They're just something that doesn't look appealing on a map or it might be difficult to get to because of like a big hill or a swamp or a creek or something that that's something that i'm really seeing a pattern with for sure yeah and i've noticed the last couple of years i would say five to ten years ago the logic of going in as far as you can was you know, correct for sure. Like there wasn't a lot of guys probably doing that five or 10 years ago, but so many people have been talking about that in the last five and 10 years, or probably at least five years, at least of all oh, you got to go in deep. And I'm sure on some parcels it would work like that, but especially where we live and other parcels I've hunted around, uh, different parts of the Southeast. That's not true. There's a lot more guys that are truly dedicated to getting there very deep. And I'm sure, I mean, a lot of guys do have success doing that. But, I mean, you got to be creative on how you're accessing stuff to be, you know, first off. You can't just be walking down the road, you know, two miles down the, a gated road and, you know, think that you're going to be a haul alone. Because, I mean, there's guys using bicycles. There's guys using kayaks. There's guys using canoes. I mean, they're using all different types of tactics to get in there and to get in deep. So, like you said, you got to be kind of creative of how you get in there and be aware that, you know, you might get in there deep, but there's probably some other guys that work in that area too. I mean, if it looks especially – I think what helped us having success at least getting on deer is don't look at just a map and expect that there's you find a good spot on a map and expect there's not gonna be anyone else hunting it. If you can see it on a map, I think a lot got a lot of more guys, especially hunting public land, and some guys are real serious on their leases and uh, clubs are definitely looking at maps and they're looking at for quote unquote saddles, ridges, benches, uh, you know certain uh, you know the way a draw comes up on a ridge and makes a point. You know they're looking at these certain topography uh symbols and stuff and they're hunting that and they see that on a map they're going to go in there and hunt that if you find a, a really 
major saddle, you know, a mile and a half back on a road or from a gate, there's going to be someone probably hunting it. I mean, if you can see it, you know, plain as day on a map, most likely someone's going to be hunting that. So I think where you can find the best success is finding these very small, minute things on maps that you might not even notice. You're like, oh, you know, that looks like that could be a little bench or something like that, but it's not really defined. And putting boots on the ground and getting in there, and that's probably where you're going to have your best luck for sure. Yeah, man, that that is so true. Because if you can see it on Google Earth, so can the 45 other guys that are hunting that same area, you know. That, that's that's such a huge thing because there's been a lot of times where I've found something on a map that looks killer, and then I go in there and there's already a guy hunting it. Well, I'll, I'll find sign that somebody's already hunting it. Um, all right, let's let's move on to uh, hunting with the wind. I learned a lot about the wind this year because I started using a floating wind detector, like milkweed, or you could use uh, the fluff from a, a cattail, um, or you could use uh, man, what it's I think it's called broom sedge, and you can get the little seeds off the top of it and they float in the wind really well. And that's made a big difference in me being able to understand how the wind kind of works through hilly areas, even even areas that are kind of slightly hilly, like pretty flat, but they might have a few five to ten foot drops in them in places or slopes, not drops, but being able to see how the wind interacts with big long draws on the side of a ridge or or just a creek or something going through a swamp knowing how the wind interacts with that on certain days has made a big difference because i think in past years i've been in the right spot on the right wind but something about the wind has been like say if i'm hunting in a valley and the wind is coming over the valley and it, it might be like eddying so i might be I might have a trail to the north of me at 40 yards with a northern wind. So the wind is coming from the trail, hitting me in the face. But if there's a hill behind me, that wind is probably kicking back, right back to that trail. And dropping something like milkweed or cattail fluff, that that uh, the, the seed from that will float back behind you. And then a lot of times will get vacuumed up underneath you and go right back to the trail. And so that's kind of ruining your hunt before it even starts yeah very true and again i've never previously used anything like that until you started using that this year and i went on a couple we did a couple of double sits and uh you used it and it was really awesome just to see how that like you said the wind affects the uh the seedlings when you drop them and you can literally watch it i'm talking if you have i mean if you have good eyes i mean you could watch it up to probably 30 30 to probably 50 yards from you as it floats and you can kind of see what the wind's doing at a distance uh because it's not necessarily what the wind's doing right where you are but if you know 100 yards behind you you have a really steep slope or something a really steep uh incline that wind like eddies back around or like you're in a big bowl and eddies back around you know it's going to ruin anything that's in front of you because the way the wind's going to swirl so stuff like that you know has definitely probably helped you out a little bit this year using that I mean, I used to use the old, you know, Dead Downwind or whatever brand name you want to use, uh, the little puff smoke, which, I mean, it's okay, but like you said, you only get a kind of general, you, you kind of get a, just an idea of what's happening right where you are, but you don't know what's going on, you know, 50 feet, 100 feet, you know, 60 yards from you and what the wind's doing, whether it's swirling around or doing this or that. Uh, so I think definitely the milkweed is a huge advantage over any other products out there. And again, it's natural. I mean, if you can find some milkweed or, uh, what were the other two plants you could use again? 
the fluff from like a cattail. You find them growing in a marsh or on the side of a pond, and the little seed pod on the top of it. I guess it's a seed pod. The you can mm-hmm. kind of pull it apart, and it's really fluffy, and that stuff will float in the wind really good. And then broom sedge, which uh, it's just kind of a bunch grass that grows up in open areas, and at the top of that, it kind of looks like a broom. And there's little seedling things on that that have fibers on them that float in the wind really well. Uh, that works too, but that's not quite as good because it's harder to see when it gets away from you. But that milkweed is just snow white, so you can see that thing going way through the woods. <clears throat> well, exactly. So if you can get yourself, you know, hands on some of that, you know, you'd be set pretty well. I actually know one of the team members on the Running Gun page actually said something about he was going to try to plant some milkweed in his backyard, I believe, so he'd oh, yeah. have a little supply so he could uh, access for it. Yeah, I was just lucky enough to run past some of it when I was bow hunting one day in the early season. And I was like, oh, heck yeah, that's milkweed. I've heard a lot about that. So I took it, dried it out, and sure enough, man, I love it. I'm going to definitely, I'm, I'm probably going to try and plant some so I can be able to go back and get it this fall because I don't run across it that often where I'm at. Um, another thing it's helped me with is hunting crosswinds because I feel like I see more deer on a crosswind. So if i got a trail in front of me running east to west, and I have like a east northeast wind. I'll see more deer, and I, my wind is blowing kind of parallel to the trail, which is it's pretty risky. But if you can get away with it, man, I feel like I see way more deer on days like that. Whether it's just them using the wind to their advantage, which I don't know if there's any data to back that up, but anecdotally, that's what it seems like they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll agree. I mean, I've done the same thing on a couple hunts where. Maybe I went in there and I wasn't planning on hunting a crosswind, but just the way the wind switched, you know, in the morning, it just kind of did that. And you did, I would see, you know, it seemed like I saw, you know, more deer doing a sit like that, especially if you can get real close to bedding and do that. It's very, very successful. Uh, yeah. Those deer, you know, close to their beds, that's probably when they're, you know, I don't know, it can be a mix of whether or not they're comfortable or not, but it always seems like, you know, especially in hilly country, those deer are using that wind to their advantage on their beds. If you get in there hunting on a crosswind, they think they you know, have full advantage walking those trails around the beds, and uh, you can get in there on those deer pretty easily. Yeah, man, I totally agree with that. The last thing that I have for good strategies this year was still hunting. And I used to think that if you tried to still hunt whitetails in the south that you were an idiot, but... For some reason, I decided to try it this year, and it not only is it a lot of fun, but you, you cover so much ground, and you learn so much about the area that you're hunting, and I think I saw a deer every time I still hunted this year. Well, I think I went four or five times, and I killed one the very first time I did it, and then uh, you you kind of mentioned earlier on that parcel where me and you bumped that buck together. The week before me and you bumped that buck out of his bed 15 steps from me, I was in there and I ran across a buck when I was still hunting, a really nice buck. And he he had a doe with him, uh, and they were just, I, I don't know if they were bedded, but there was a down tree on the side of this draw in some pretty open woods. You can see all the way to the other side of the draw, no problem. You could shoot over to it, in fact. But they were in that brush pile, and I was sneaking up to it, and I had no idea they were there. And then I think I stepped on something, I cracked a stick up under my foot, and they stood up, and I was only 35 yards from them, if that. And uh, 
so I, I get behind a tree real quick. I like crouch down and uh, the buck kind of runs a loop around the uh, around the down tree. And man, if he took two more steps, he would have been toast because I had my gun up, safety off, and everything. But that doe he was with just wasn't having any of it. She she didn't like it, so she walked down across the bottom and they got out of sight. So I waited for, I don't know, 15 minutes, kind of let things cool down. And then I swung a big circle trying to get in front of them or at least cut them off to wherever they were going. And I was going to grunt and see if I could get them to come to me. Long story short, I go down through this cane thicket in the swamp next to the creek. And I can't see more than three or four feet. And I finally get to the creek. And there's kind of a little opening right there on the creek. And I pop out and he's right there eight yards on the other side of the creek and before i even had time to think about getting the gun up he was gone so it was this doe ran right across the property line nothing i could do but i don't know still hunting is definitely something i'm going to do more next year because like i said man it's a blast and you learn so much when you're doing it yeah and again you know when you're still hunting you're definitely using your just for most people you're definitely using your rifle i know we did one bow hunt where we kind of still hunt slash you know just some calling sequences with the rattle uh, rattling but uh yeah i think that's a great top a great thing to use and you know i hear some guys using that in the south every now and then depending on where they're hunting but you don't hear a lot of, a whole lot of guys doing that uh, but i think that would be a good topic especially if you're new to an area and uh you know it's a firearm season you're new to an area whether you're hunting a you know a new lease or club or whatever or just a new piece of public land that still hunting smartly, you know, just walk in there with the freaking wind at your back. I mean, do it, you know, in a smart way, good entrance, good exit route, but where you can cover some ground and use it almost like a, a scouting trip while you're kind of going through there real quietly, uh, I think would be a great, great tool for someone to use. Yeah, and definitely. That, that kind of, uh, the reason I love squirrel hunting and I still hunt squirrels, which I guess that's why I'm not terrible at still hunting deer because I've got experience doing that, but the thing with still hunting is you just got to move really slow. And honestly, when you get to the area you want to get to, you sh- you need to stand still more than you walk and be very careful with how you're walking. Always look out in front of you and use your ears because I usually find deer when I'm still hunting this year. I find them with my ears before I find them with my eyes. And also I try to only do it on days that are pretty windy not so windy that i can't hear anything but enough wind to kind of mask my movement um and i'll kind of try and move when the wind is blowing a little bit harder and then i'll stop and wait until i hear something basically and mm-hmm. that worked for me this year okay what's well, what's a couple other topics we ought to talk about for tonight well let's go ahead and move on to worst strategies of this year so what what is one thing that you tried to do this year that just did not work out <laughs> okay well i'll say this <laughs> my my work my worst strategy this year was working way too much and not having enough time to go hunting that's <laughs> a terrible no, strategy <laughs> i know man like ugh, what am i doing man making money god i can't handle it but uh <laughs> i mean but for real like i was working so much this year i hunted less than half as much as I was able to last year I mean it, I guess it paid out in the end with you know just the way everything kind of worked out but man that 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 bit me in the butt this year just from a hunting standpoint um I see another strategy I guess I'd say not giving an area 
enough time. Like, so, okay, I'll give you an example. Going into an area that maybe looks good, whether I scouted it previously, walked through there, whatever, but only hunting it maybe one time, and maybe whether or not the weather was, you know, correct, or, you know, tried on a certain wind and maybe not see anything, but and like totally just give up on an area after one hunt, I think kind of bit me in the butt. And actually, I would say that's probably something I've done wrong the last couple of years, uh, not giving, you know, an area enough time. Um, especially when it came closer to the rut, you know, you'd find a lot of good sign on some of these travel corridors and, you know, I'd hunt it one time and maybe not see, you know, a bunch of deer, might not see anything. And I just give up on it. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to try somewhere else. And I was almost jumping around too much um, than I probably should have. So that's something yeah. I definitely think that kind of bit me in the butt last year and last two years. Man, that definitely bit me this year because I spent so much time uh, focusing on where we've been hunting these last few years on the parcel in central Alabama that I haven't been hunting the other one that I live close to now. And I found a great spot in that, in the parcel I'm hunting now. Uh, kind of a swamp bottom. There's like, there's a thick area next to this swamp. It's kind of like an old oxbow in the river. And the, the river has since uh, carved a new channel. So that oxbow is just, it's just kind of a loop of like a riverbed that used to be there and it holds a little bit of water but it's really grassy pretty thick kind of swampy and there's just trails cut through that grass and there's a big scrape out in the middle of the grass and i knew it was a great spot but i was spending all my off time traveling up to hunt where i've been hunting these last few years and come to find out man some guy killed a jacob you've seen it he killed a monster buck down there he killed a great buck i was shocked to see that thing come off that parcel and the reason I know he killed it there is because a friend of a friend uh, knows a guy who owns property that adjoins to the public that I'm hunting, and that guy had pictures of that buck all season uh, on the property right next to the spot I found on public. I mean, as the crow flies, he's getting pictures of him in a greenfield probably, oh man, quarter of a mile as the crow flies from the spot that I found. And there's all kinds of buck sign in there. I bet it was him. So I really messed up on that one. I, I might have had an opportunity at that buck once the rut started kind of getting going here, but I just didn't devote any time to it because I was, I was too used to hunting where I've been hunting. I was afraid to branch out, I guess, and that, that cost me. I will say that deer was a freaking giant. I mean, from the parts that you're hunting now, you know, I've never really heard anything good about it as in like quality deer. But the second I saw that photo of that deer, I was like, holy crap. Like that is extremely impressive. Like if it came off any parcel or I don't care if it came off a, a high dollar, you know, preserved. I mean, that was a good friggin' deer. Uh, Yo, dude, that's a good deer in Kentucky. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, he, he was a great just, buck. A, with that being said, I mean, it's kind of amazing how, like, like I just said, like, I've never heard anything good about that property, you know, never heard anything about like quality or coming off that, that shows that you don't have to have super quality land to hunt on to not be able to find good deer. I mean, there's good deer everywhere. I truly believe that every, you know, parcel land, there's always going to be, you know, I believe if it's a large enough parcel, there's going to be a good quality deer on that. You just have to go out and find it. There not might, there might not be, you know, a huge, uh, number of them. Like you might find in some other States or other parts of the country. Um, but there's definitely always, you know, good quality, I think, mature buck in pretty much any, you know, area you pretty much hunt in. And it's just about finding that. And that's a quality example of an area that you thought was a high-quality spot, 
you know, you waited a little too long to go in there and a guy, you know, got in there and was able to harvest a great deer. Uh, and again, it just shows you that you don't have to hunt, you know, the most well-known piece of property. If I'm talking public land now, you don't have to be hunting the most well-known piece of property for giant bucks to be able to harvest a giant buck. Uh, it's more about just putting your time and effort and finding good areas and just going in there and just, you know, hopefully you played your cards right. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing that I'm going to say is, as far as bad strategies go, is before the season on this parcel that I've been hunting these last few years, we've always had good bucks in this one area that I hunt. And again, it's it used to be an overlooked area, but some other people have started moving in there now. But we've always had a history of good bucks. And I was just going to give up on it. And it was just me and my buddy Zach and a couple other guys that hunted it sometimes and I was gonna hunt it some this year but I wasn't gonna devote a whole lot of time to it um and Zach ran some cameras in there before season and he got pictures of a giant an absolute giant a big tall nine point but after getting those pictures I was like man I gotta I can't I gotta hunt up there because not only was there that buck but that I'd found a shed off another buck that year that was just gigantic or uh, a freak last year i found a really big shed in turkey season in the same area of a different buck it wasn't the same one we got a picture of uh so with those two deer i'm like i need to devote some time to it and i felt kind of kind of dumb because the last four years we've been hunting it so hard and every year we've had encounters with these bucks but we've never killed one so i was like man this is going to be the year so early season my first few hunts i devoted all my time to that parcel and that parcel just is not that conducive to hunting because all of the bedding is off of public for a pretty good ways. And, I mean, if I can't get within three or 400 yards of that deer's bed, then I'm probably not going to kill him, especially in early season, maybe in the rut. But I, I spent way too much time there, got too aggressive, and as soon as I started changing things up and going to other areas, I was able to have a lot more luck learn a lot more see a lot more deer so that's something i'm going to pay attention to early next season so i don't fall into that rut again oh yeah for sure i mean but like that i mean like you said i mean that deer is such a quality buck i mean it was kind of hard not to get distracted by it i mean i saw the photos and i was like dude that is i'm not gonna it's not a once in a lifetime buck but it is definitely for public land dude that was a bombshell you get that man and someone to put you in the newspaper local newspaper for that deer um so i mean i definitely don't blame you for putting some time and uh effort into it and getting aggressive but i mean like you said you know if you get too aggressive with one thing you don't know what could have happened with others i mean it's kind of like you said or like i said you kind of had to play your cards and hope you play them the right way and you know if you're going to be aggressive hopefully you know you're gonna have something to show for it if not i mean i don't know I mean, it can be it can be tough. I mean, it can be very discouraging putting a lot of effort on, you know, one deer, just one area where you think there's some really good deer and then, you know, getting, you know, maybe get close to them but never actually be able to get your hands on the deer. I mean, it's tough. Yeah, man, for sure. Well, man, I think that about does it for this one. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Well, before we tune off, I definitely would like to say uh, we finally launched our uh, Southern Outdoorsman podcast instagram account uh which is another way y'all can get connected with us and also we have our facebook uh, page the southern outdoorsman podcast so definitely check those out 
uh, stay in contact with us. And if y'all want to message us about any questions or any other topics y'all would like us for uh, us to cover in the future, feel free to do that. And also, that's gonna be another place we're gonna be dropping some of the episodes too. Yeah, man, for sure. And uh, follow us on Facebook, man. Subscribe to the podcast. That really helps us out. We'd appreciate it a lot. And uh, if you like it, share it with your friends. And we'll be bringing forward a lot more content in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.